You must have been hearing things. Hearing things? Look, Joe, don't worry. The same thing happened to me when I first came in. I wasn't imagining things. I tell you, I heard... Hold to oak! Yes, and what do you do? But don't you see? It's the simplest way to break it down. Yes, we'll try to fly a second-hand gusto. What don't they know? <laughs> this time, there's three of us. Oh. Let's try again. Here comes the drums! So here it comes, the sound of drums. Here come the drums, here come the drums. Hello and welcome to Polter Open, an ongoing quest with the sound of drums to watch all of Doctor Who in extremely random order. My name's Chris Taylor. And I'm Pete Paschal. And this is a very special episode of Poll to Open because we have a very special guest on today. And it is from another great Doctor Who pod, pod podcast, uh, Flight Through Entirety. It is Nathan Bottomley. Hello, Nathan. Thanks for joining. Hello. Thank you for having me. Where are you right now, Nathan? Uh, so, oh, don't, sorry. Uh, so I'm in <laughs> Sydney, Australia, uh, which is in the very room, in fact, where we record Flight Through Entirety because uh, we're all locals. And so we actually usually record sitting on the couch just behind me. Wow. wow. This yeah. is cool. I love this because, you know, the time zones now are triple because Chris is in <laughs> Pacific time, U.S. I'm in Eastern time, U.S. Yep. And you know, what, is, what, is, what even is the time zone in Sydney? Uh, we call it Eastern time. Uh, so it's oh, Australia wow. slash Sydney. Yeah. So it's like we're in almost like parallel universe because I'm we in are. Eastern time, but this is not very East as far as East goes on, on this globe. I, I yeah. feel like it should be, it, it should be future time. Like that, that would be the, yeah. the real thing to do is like Australia should, and, you know, New Zealand should really lean into that whole being into the future thing. Mm. Um, no, it's especially, tomorrow. Yeah, it is tomorrow. It is Sunday for you. Mm. It's Saturday for us. Yeah. We're, we're recording this on May 21st slash 22nd. Uh, you've just had an election there in Australia and a uh, pretty, pretty wild election night. Yeah, things uh, were very different from what we expected, I think. Uh, so our government, which really refused to do anything at all about climate change mm. and didn't do a great job uh, rolling out the vaccine, although perhaps a bit better than most people think, uh, is now gone. It's history. So we have, uh, I think it's our 32nd Prime Minister, is going to be sworn in on Monday. None of that nice. American business of waiting two months or whatever before yeah. uh, the, the leader of the government gets sworn in. <laughs> uh, the current one's out the door and uh, we'll have a whole new group uh, yeah. in the place on Monday. Very, right. very British style, you know. Uh, <laughs> yes, down, exactly. The Downing Street movers move in like on the Friday. and Yeah, yeah. fantastic. Uh, well, I just well, realized you had only about 18 more prime ministers than doctors <laughs> on, the, on the show. So. This is actually the first prime minister to be voted out, I think, this century because uh, wow. they always just tend to be kind of knifed in the back. Uh, we <laughs> we have this joke that you, uh, that, uh, you need to check your smoke alarm battery every time Australia changes prime minister. <laughs> <laughs> did, did anyone say, isn't he looking old? Was that, <laughs> that's, that's really what this election turned on? Isn't he look tired? tired? <laughs> he looks tired. <laughs> so, Nathan, I should talk about how uh, we got to, well, I got to know of you. So, one of the friends of the pod, Bob, Gib Bob Gibley, who uh, follows us on Twitter, was tweeting at us 
a while back and mentioned the randomizer.net. Now, this is a, a website slash Twitter handle you created, right? Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, so I had a friend who was watching Doctor Who through in random order, and he was using an Excel spreadsheet, and that just struck me as <laughs> deeply, deeply miserable. And so, <laughs> so I created very seen right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, your system involves random.org, which uses atmospheric motion as a, a way of generating mm. randomness, which I think is much That's cooler right. than anything that JavaScript can manage. Uh, so the randomizer.net was born. It is a website that I've, I think I've recreated it a couple of times. Whenever a big new web technology comes along that I want to learn, I kind of re-implement the randomizer in it. Um, and it lets you choose a random Doctor Who story. You can pick which doctors you want to choose from. You can mm. decide to avoid mm. uh, stories with missing episodes or stories that are too long. Oh, wow, so you can you could focus the randomizer. Yeah, yeah, nice. and it remembers your preferences uh, on a browser, so it will. Uh, you can choose to have it not choose stories wow. that you've uh, recently had. This so feels like wow. This is a randomizer from the 50th century compared to what we have. <laughs> I think this is uh, this is really advanced technology. Have yeah, you so, ever thought about expanding the randomizer to uh, novels, big mm. Finnish audios, and like um, the rest of the canon? I guess. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> I, I kind of think. I guess that involves buying stuff. Yeah, so. and work, all sorts of work. Um, and <laughs> I, I guess for me, the the idea of it is, you know, what am I going to put on telly and uh, mm. and sit down and watch? Right. And you know, we've all had that thing where we stand in front of our wall of. Doctor Who DVDs and just yep. stare at it for <laughs> half an hour. Oh, yeah. Um, the tyranny of choice. It's so hard. <laughs> and the other one that I have, which is actually completely different, even though it still bears the randomizer name, has actually nothing to do with the randomizer as far as sort of technology is involved. And it's just a Twitter bot that posts every 12 hours with a random Doctor Who story and sometimes a completely inappropriate photograph. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and basically a link to the other randomizer. So you can follow that. At, excuse me. You can follow that at DW Randomizer on Twitter. Right. And this the is... key thing to remember is the British spelling. Yes. So that oh, yes. Randomizer with an S, which is oh, probably yeah. why we didn't find it. Because we were looking <laughs> at the Z or the Z, I guess. Uh, well, and, British uh, and Australian spelling, yes. Exactly right. right. <laughs> I think I'm pretty sure that uh, that's how Tom Baker would have spelled it. Hmm, I'm pretty sure you're correct. Yeah, I love that. By the way, we we have this all Commonwealth team here today. We have we have Canada, <laughs> Australia, and the UK represented. Yeah. Um, how how is uh, Doctor Who watched in Australia? Here in the, the US, it's like either HBO Max for the for the new show or BritBox uh, exclusively for the classic series. Um, is it is it all on streaming there? Um, so we have a reasonable kind of public broadcaster, uh, the ABC, which hmm. is not as big as the BBC, but is kind of the same model. It's been kind of systematically underfunded for decades. And Doctor Who goes out on the ABC for its first run, uh, hmm. and it's available on iView. In fact, uh, our catch-up service uh our catch-up service posts the episode immediately after it finishes on the BBC. So wow. we're able to watch it almost immediately. Nice. 
And we have BritBox, uh, of course, for everything else. When I was a kid, the ABC used to be, sorry, Doctor Who used to be stripped at sort of 6.30 at night every night and we would get the whole story in a week. So it would be like Monday to Thursday. And so the the Pertwee era and the Tom Baker era were just repeated ad nauseum to the point where I can basically recite them, I think, at this point. Um, although, oddly, because Clause of Axos was in a bit of a state uh, back in the 70s when I was watching this, the late 70s, can I add, uh, mm-hmm. when I was watching this as a kid, uh, it was never repeated. So it was huh. one that I came oh, to interesting. a bit later. Yeah. You know, it had that sort of weird only existing in 16 millimeter or whatever problem. Well, there, there's our right. first answer to why You're did the randomizer bring us here? It's ah, that's so that you could... <laughs> Our guest could watch Clause of Access in its in its current form. Um, uh, there it is. Yes, I was struggling with that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I've got I've got plenty of reasons for the randomizer, but we should we should say yes. We are we are here at Clause of Access, uh, and mm-hmm. Pete, where where were we before? We were just at Frontiers. We were well, yes. Previously on Polta Open, uh, we were. <laughs> At Frontios, a Fifth Doctor adventure from uh, Peter Davidson's final season. Uh, lots of burrowing Earth creatures, the, the fun, fun tractators, and fun, fun Mark Strickson overacting at times. Uh, that was all good. Uh, prior to that, we had a real missing episode, although less missing today, in The Power of the Daleks, mm-hmm. um, which, of course, we had to turn to the animations that they created recently to fully appreciate that one. And prior to that, we were at the randomizers, our randomizers, anyway, favorite doctor, Peter Capaldi, with uh, The Eaters of Light, which is probably the most Scottish episode that there has been probably since the Highlanders. Um, so right. that was all good. And today, that was the randomizer course, telling us that we were about to see another Scottish doctor being chosen, yeah. trying yeah, to give yeah. us a, a warning ahead of time. In hindsight, that was why. <laughs> it was so clear. That's like, see, the random, the, why the randomizer works sometimes isn't clear for months, uh, if not <laughs> eons. Um, but now, this has all brought us to the Claws of Axos. Uh, serial three in John Pertwee's second season, which was season eight of the show. And uh, a, a pretty interesting one, a four-episoder. Uh, I remember seeing this one as a kid because they were... Uh, when I was watching it, I, I came in at Davidson. And then after Davidson's run on the PBS affiliate, they went right into Pertwee. And then, so I saw Claws of Axis pretty early in my sort of Doctor Who watching. I think I saw it once or twice after that, um, just because when they were broadcast them Saturday nights, they'd put them all in one chunk and they would actually edit out the cliffhangers and stuff, which was kind of a bad way to watch the show. But uh, it was good to see it again, seeing it like as four different episodes. And uh, yeah, I like to gauge the cliffhangers now since I, I didn't really see them as much growing up. Wow, I, f- I feel like I'm almost on a footing with you guys, uh, Nathan. If, if you've listened to the show before, you will know that I often lament the fact that it is re- was repeated so rarely in the UK growing up. So that uh, mm. you know, folks out there in countries that that bought Doctor Who and had uh, a reason to to screen it over and over, you got to see it so much more. I mean, this is why there is you know such a huge uh, fandom in in Australia, right, and in in Canada and the US. Like it's. You know, I, I do. I'm always amazed to find fans who are way more familiar with the the classic show than I ever was, because uh, we just simply didn't get to see it. So it's well, what was, one of these great ironies. What was ironies. funny is that 
I think it was like they, whenever PBS would run it, and well, sorry, whenever PBS would do like a pledge drive, they would talk about how expensive the show was. <laughs> you, Doctor Who fans, you know how much Doctor Less. Who costs PBS. <laughs> we, we we pay like you know fifty thousand dollars, you know. So so the thing is, they I guess if that's true and they paid tons of money, they wanted to get their money's worth, right? Like we're going to run this again and again. Like it's like I love it. I love it. It's the Doctor Who equivalent of like there are kids starving in Ethiopia now. But it, <laughs> eat up your dinner. Yikes. I think that we had so much Doctor Who in the uh, late 80s, early 90s that I remember people sending videotapes, things they'd taped off the telly and posting them to Britain so that uh, British fans had the chance to see in <laughs> oh, things. It was crazy. <laughs> it's definitely of a piece of the fact that like so many missing episodes were retrieved from, from countries that are not the UK, mm. right? It's, mm. uh, you know, we, we sent them out there to be safeguarded <laughs> from, from our own ineptitude uh the world the world taught you how to care about your own franchises right (laughs) yeah yeah it's definitely a lesson to be learned there speaking of franchises the uh pull to open franchise uh always is always looking for support so guys uh as always if you guys like what you're hearing if you want to keep supporting the show please leave a review on whatever service you're using but apple podcasts is uh, one of the best ones to leave it on. So even if you're leaving, even if you're listening on Spotify or Amazon Music or Stitcher or whatever, doesn't hurt to download the uh, the podcast app. Leave a quick review. You could leave an emoji. That's fine. Leave one wave, wave the wavy emoji, and say hi to us. That's awesome. And uh, just take a second to do that. It really helps the show because the more reviews we get, the more we visible we are in the podcast. Uh, platform and i'm not telling you what to write not really telling you what to put but those five-star reviews really do have a special place in our heart and yeah. while you're there you know what check out flight through entirety yeah <laughs> flight through entirety a great one i think <laughs> i was just listening to your um i think it, you guys were on a town called mercy recently mm. right mm. really good what really good app it really brought back uh i, I kind of like I, I i think i want the randomizer to bring me there now that i've listened to you guys talk about it because like I was like, wow, there was a lot going on in that episode that I mm. didn't fully appreciate in terms of all the, I mean, there's, you could, it's already a lot in the text, but there's even more that you guys were like, really uh, took apart. I really enjoyed uh, what you guys had to say about it. Yeah, thanks. We've just finished Series 7A and we're having a little bit of a break uh, and we'll be back for Christmas in July, which is an Australian thing. Uh, so that we're <laughs> not eating a roast meal in sort of 38 mm. degree heat in December. Um uh, we'll be back with the snowman. So unlike oh. you, we are gradually making our way through the show. We started in 2014 with the pilot wow. episode. And nice. uh, so we've done all of the classic series and uh, yeah. the first, what, uh, uh, wow. six and a half years of the new wow. series. And, we need some and tips how... when we get to those missing episodes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seriously. How? how do, uh, I'm very curious about how this has changed your perception of the show, uh, watching it in, in order like that. Um, well, I mean, there are things that I liked less than I do now. Generally speaking, it's been positive. There were, mm. I hadn't watched it all the way through, and there were some uh, Hartnells and missing episodes that uh, mm. I had never watched. And it really made me appreciate the early years a great deal. Like Power of the Daleks, uh, I never really saw before 
we podcasted. And back then there wasn't an animated one. It was hmm. just the reruns right. that I had to yeah. watch. And it's so spectacular. Like it's such an incredible piece of work and I just knew nothing about it. So it has absolutely been worth doing, I think. I what always surprised yeah. me about Power of the Daleks. It's 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 literally the Power of the Daleks. <laughs> like, I mean, this <laughs> yeah. so many, like that's one thing we kind of forgot to I think talk about in that that pod we did. It's like the title is like it's the power, yes. you know. Like, here's the plug. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The plug goes the, here. The static electricity of the Daleks. Yep. <laughs> so slightly less exciting title. Um but yeah, so I believe that we uh, to bring in yet another country into the uh, the pull to open family of nations. Um, we're we're still hot in the Netherlands. Uh, yeah. Thank you, still thank you, Dutch friends. <laughs> yeah, sure. I don't know what's going on there. What? Who's the? I don't know. Maybe they had an election there, and the prime minister is a big fan of pull to open. I have no idea. But yeah. uh, keep keep leaving those reviews, uh, whether it's the Netherlands iTunes store or whatever store you uh, want to leave it in. It's great. Um, I got to learn to say something in Dutch, I think, <laughs> to give a proper shout out. But mm. for now, it's Sprex to Engels. That's that's uh, the the Dutch that I know. Thanks to Eddie Izzard. Yes, there you go. and I think Eddie Izzard's the one who says that that's like asking a Dutch person if they can count up to four. <laughs> exactly. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> he tells that whole story. Yeah. Perfect English. The last time I was in Amsterdam, <laughs> people were making fun of my accent. I mean, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> Specs to Engels, yeah, and the, the response from the guy in the shop is, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, well, thanks, Dutch fans. Uh, right. Also, uh, another incentive to leave a review is the prize that Pete's going to give us. Right. And I, I am so invested now in the question of what the hell this prize is. Um, and we, what do we have so far? It is uh, mineral in the actual vegetable, vegetable mineral. Uh breakdown both in its composition and in what it represents um it is a mostly new who thing which is curious right. uh it is uh definitely uh how did i try and <laughs> tried to break it down last uh, previous week with male doctor or female doctor you said male okay so that narrows it down to uh three um four <laughs> sorry <laughs> yeah uh so and and then i tried to say is it a scottish doctor because i was going to split the difference and you know tenant and capaldi on one side and, and uh smith and uh eggleston yeah, on the other and, on yeah, and you yeah. you said both so that didn't really help me uh so <laughs> well i said i think it, i said it straddles doctors it Did straddles Doctors. Maybe if, yes. if I didn't say that, I'm saying that now. <laughs> yeah, that, that was the impression that I got that I'd, I'd wasted a question. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I, I have an, one more question that I can ask, unless uh, Nathan, you would like to, uh, you, you have a good 20 questions question to throw at Pete here about this prize. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> well, I don't know. Is it bigger than a bread box? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great it question, is. actually. <laughs> well, it is bigger on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> In using conventional geometry, yeah. uh, it is <laughs> interesting. Oh. Okay, all right. <laughs> all you're getting. Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> all right, Guys, but yes, leave a review. Socials? <laughs> <laughs> how about the socials yes moving on to tiktok 
Socials uh, are great. Yes. TikTok's been good. Um, we're past 7,200 followers, which is awesome. Uh, look out, 10K. We'll, we'll still, we'll, uh, planning something special. It's forming in my head. We're going to make use more of the TikTok stuff, the services that they offer creators on that platform. Got some ideas. We're a couple thousand away, but you know, we got to start planning. Uh, got some good comments on both the power of the Daleks and Frontios. Um, so, so it's funny, like we had, we weren't very kind, I admit, Chris, when we talked about the Daleks on screen when they were Dalek toys and then uh-huh. Dalek posters. And we were, you know, it's, we, we, we criticize out of love whenever we do, but it is like, uh, someone did remind us that, you know, when, when back in the day, the, it was one and done, right? You, an episode went out, it was pretty much never broadcast again. You can mm-hmm. kind of get away with that for a couple of seconds, and the scrutiny we're kind of bringing it here into 2022. All right, fair enough. Um, so that's good. The TikTok people <laughs> keeping us honest. It's funny because the TikTok yeah. crowd is younger, and they're like, they're kind of reminding us, the older generation, of this <laughs> this reality from from back in the day. Um, yeah. So that was that was a good comment, uh, sort of reminding us of that. But we also have a TikTok comment of the week, and it's from a guy named Ian Basor Basore something hmm, like that um, and this is a comment on the one of the terminus videos which was about you know terminus being responsible for the creation of the universe and almost the end of the universe and uh, ian says there are multiple ends of the universe because according to doctor who time can be and has been rewritten many times hence why the end of the universe slash time changes form also different writers lol <laughs> and I think it's kind of like it's it's one of these yeah. comments that I think it bears sort of examining for a couple couple minutes just because it's it's clearly one of these theories of time travel and uh the Doctor Who universe, which there's no no right answer. Like is is time rewritten? Is everything you see part of the same universe? You know, we've seen this with the cracks in time and various other ways they've kind of quote unquote rebooted um what we're seeing on screen. Um I guess I'm just sort of throwing it out there as like, is is this uh, a, a good, is Terminus, should we even take Terminus seriously? I don't know. I, I like on, on, and it's <laughs> how, the, how the universe was created because it's never referred to obviously before, but not since. Um, and we've seen, you know, the end of the universe a few times. So, you know, I don't know. What, what do you guys, what do you guys make of like the creation of the universe in the Doctor Who universe? You know that Eric, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> You know that Eric Sayward just completely reused the entire thing just a few years later in Slipback in the radio uh, series yeah. thing. Uh, and the Vipod Moore has the same role as that Terminus spaceship. So he doesn't think uh, that he's, that uh, Terminus has created a sort of one-and-done creation of the universe story. And I just, at Flight Through Entirety, we're much more inclined to think of it as you know, a TV show that goes out every so often and the creators can't remember what happened before or don't mm-hmm. care right. or don't want to leave the end or beginning of the universe alone because it's such a fun thing to do. And uh, so uh, we give them a pass. We just sort of think if most of the audience has forgotten Terminus, uh, we can do the beginning and end of the universe again, I think. You know, it's, it's it's kind of nice going back and forth between the, the Doctor Who franchise and the Star Wars franchise, which I do. I mm. write a lot about Star Wars, where it, it, the fans are so maniacally, you know, uh, desperate to establish what, what is canon, what isn't canon, you know, really uh, 
you know, piss off a Star Wars fan by talking about so the <laughs> legends, the legends books, which are no longer canon, like they were raised in, in 2014, and you know, there are these huge wars about can- and, and you go to Doctor Who, which is just like, eh, eh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. everything. Uh, I think there's a Doctor Who critic called Elizabeth Sandifer who says that everything is canon except Noddy, uh, because the Doctor <laughs> says there isn't a Noddy in the Unicorn and the Wasp. Uh, but apart from that, every <laughs> other story has happened. And, yes. I mean, canon, you know, it's drawing a bright line between stories that really happened and didn't happen. You know, the... Uh, the mm. the legends things in Star Wars didn't happen, but the Last Jedi did happen. That just seems like an extraordinary right. way to behave. I, I have a Star Trek podcast, in fact, a random Star Trek podcast uh, called Untitled Star Trek Project, and it absolutely Star Trek absolutely has the same problem. Oh uh, yeah, it, you know, there's Especially no now. space left for anything. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because <laughs> they're going back in, like, with Strange New Worlds and all this stuff and yeah, Discovery yeah. into the timelines they'd already done. It's not like they're just going further into the future. No. Yeah, canon's always a tricky thing. I mean, uh, there was a great article in Doctor Who magazine, this was years ago, that talked about this in the context of the new series. And as it was like, I think it was right before Smith took over, essentially, Smith and Moffat. And... They talked about how, you know, they they started messing with the Earth and people being aware that aliens exist now. and the, the, But then there were characters even further out, like Donna wasn't really aware of it for some reason and stuff like mm. that. And so you kind of go like, well, does that make sense? And we all kind of want it to make sense in our heads because we mm. want this to all be a universe because if they're all connected, it kind of has more meaning. You know, there's sort of a... a, a pretty simple equation there but at the same time if you if you're so shackled by it and you think you know terminus is a great example oh well this was the creation of the universe and we never do it again Hmm. it's like you know you're you're shackled you're like come on let's let's if we have a good story and we like what we're doing let's just throw it out forget about it throw it and what what i appreciate though is when they remember and they at least throw in a line of dialogue right Mm. i I find russell davies was was really good at this in, in sort of being respectful of the canon, even if he did things completely like not uh, congruent with it, like you know, he wanted the Cybermen to emerge on Earth. Well, they didn't. Well, different universe, and right. we'll throw in some lines. It's like, oh, okay, well, we'll do that. There is there is a very very easy piece of head canon, and it's sort of related to the fact that the uh, the Peter Cushing uh, Dalek movies are. Um, uh, reappearing in in cinemas, I think they, they they're getting a, a new screening uh, in the UK at least later this year. And uh, you know, I'm reminded of the fact that I think it was Moffat who said that, like that their canon in the sense that it was like you know some American movie producers decided to retell the story of the Doctor, yeah. right? <laughs> they're, they're kind of within the Doctor Who universe. You can kind of say the same thing about the entire classic show. It was like basically the doctor sat down with these bunch of scriptwriters at the BBC and said, let me tell you some stories, right? And of course, rule number one, the doctor lies. So if the doctor is telling the entire story of the classic show and getting, you know, actors to to play him and like, you know, limited budgets to represent it on screen, then it's, you know, it makes sense that like the doctor sort of rambling retelling would itself have tons of contradictions inside it mm, um yeah. so yeah that's the headcanon i'm going with going forward i love it that cool uh, 
the Peter Cushing theory is marvellous. It's so great. It's in the novelization of Day of the Doctor. It is, yes. And which also says that his appearance in Rogue One is actually not CG. It is Peter Cushing being taken forward in time uh, by the Doctor uh, to play Moff Tarkin one last time. <laughs> the greatest conspiracy of all time. I love it. Moonlighting's got nothing on that. Okay, guys, a couple, a little bit more housekeeping. Uh, once again, reminder, we're on Twitter and Instagram. Pull to open 63. Uh, we're trying to do more on both, so please follow us there. If you're not already following us on TikTok, which, of course, we are at pull to open, all one word. And we're also on YouTube, and we're uploading every week. Uh, we'll eventually get our archive up there, so watch for that someday, which is could be the future when you're listening to this one. Maybe that's <laughs> today. Um, and we got one more thing, oh, and it's God. a question. It could be the question. <laughs> the question that resonates every particle in the universe, or at yep. least the ones here close to my microphone. Chris. Yes. Have you seen Legend of the Sea Devils? I have not. I've still wow. not seen it. And uh, <laughs> at this point, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pretty uh, gung-ho about not seeing it. Um, <laughs> at least until the until uh, you have to the the centenary special comes out. Like maybe I'll, I'll watch it as a palate cleanser before that. Uh, but yeah, I've, everything that I've heard about it so far, the fact that I've not been spoiled is sort of rather telling to me. Impressive. Like it's well, it's impressive, <laughs> but also it tells me that like there's not that much to spoil. It's it's kind of missable. Yeah. <laughs> this, yeah, it's the sense I'm getting. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we'll we'll just keep going this going as a segment, and we'll see how long I can not watch it. Uh, watch the I randomizer take of, us there. <laughs> I was trying to kind of work out what I would tell you if I wanted to spoil you about it, and I can't yeah. come up with anything. So yep. yeah, it's kind of the trailer played over and over and over, and then you kind of have the same effect. <laughs> <laughs> I did just read the Doctor Who magazine review or like glanced over it and it was like, yeah, well, this is the best attempt in Doctor Who at a pirate story. I'm like, that's really yeah. not saying much. That is talk about damning with faint praise. I'm not sure that's true. I had a massive rant about Curse of the Black Spot because it, it starts with pirates and just very quickly heads off into low-effort space corridors, um, mm. and it's sort of super disappointing. Uh, but I'm not sure that it's a lot worse than uh, Legend of the Sea Devils. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yeah. Well, you know, maybe maybe hearing how bad it actually is might, might make me go hate-watch it. So uh, this is the... It's the, the strategy that might work. Well, that's, our, that's our plan. We're, have we successfully lowered your expectations enough? Yeah, it might just end up being good. Level, be like, oh, right? Whoa, this is actually a coherent story. It has a beginning, middle, and an end. It's amazing. Yeah, that um, won't happen. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, you won't have that reaction. All right, it is time. It is no, time. I know, it yes, it is. Yes, it is, Pete. It is time. I know you're. I know you're prevaricating on this, but we have to do it. We have to do the segment called TLDW. We do it every week. Uh, okay. It is a summary. Those of you watching on YouTube will see that the Pete screen has just gone dark. He's now <laughs> bathed in the dark glow of his room because he's closed all his tabs. Because it is, it is time for Pete to summarize the whole story that we're covering today: the clause of access in. Uh, we allow 30 seconds per classic episode. Clause of Access is four episodes. 
not the seven that was originally intended. So sorry, yeah. Pete, you don't have three and a half minutes. You you just have two minutes to tell okay. us the entire story of Clause of Access. Are you ready, sir? Uh, probably as I'll ever be. It's I'm a little worried about this one just because I, I watched it over a series of nights, and one of those yeah. nights I was very tired. <laughs> <laughs> it was fading in and out of episode two or three, and then I kind of picked up what was going on on rewatch when I was doing uh, looking at the commentary. Yeah, but I'm still a little like I'm still okay. I I, I think I, I if I if I make it through ha- like the the halfway point and I don't <laughs> crash and burn down a rabbit hole, I think I'll be okay. I think I think it'll be fine. And also, definitely, there were parts of these episodes that I watched where I was like, "What what exactly is going on? What is the story? <laughs> Am I just having an acid trip?" Oh, so it um, might not be me. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I don't think it's just you. <laughs> um, but that said, it is time. I will give you a countdown. I will start the timer. Okay. I'll tell you when every thirty seconds in front of a new guest. That's right. <laughs> That's right. We've we've just done it between us and and uh, several thousands of our closest friends. Um, so. I will give you a countdown, and then Pete will start summarizing the laws of access in three, two, one, go. Okay, so there's this ship, and it's crashing. It's it's heading toward Earth, and it's sort of this organic ship, and the doctor is arguing with this guy from the Ministry of Defense who uh, doesn't like him. uh, The doctor is uh, an unknown, and the guy's very almost borderline xenophobic and is kind of a very nationalistic dude. His name's Chin. And then this, they get to pick up this ship. They want to shoot a missile at it. They do, but it doesn't work. And the ship ends up uh, essentially crashing somewhere in England. And uh, it's buried. And so they go and investigate. And it turns out it's the, the Axons. This is a, and the Axos is the ship. And basically they're like, hey, we need to hang out here and rest. And, you know, we're, we're going to give you guys a gift if you just let us do that. It's called Axonite and it's going to solve the world's problems. We're going to cre- increase the size of frogs, but, you know, any everything else, too. And so they're like, great, this is awesome. But it turns out, oh, no, these guys are actually completely bamboozling everybody. They're not actually beings, even though they appeared as humanoids. Oh, this is an organic spaceship. It's actually grown from a single cell. It's like one creature that wants to replicate itself worldwide. And it's actually already captured the master who's on board and is now kind of working with them to uh, help their plan to, to kill everybody. So the doctor is because of Chin, uh, he and the brigadier can't really do this very efficiently because Chin wants to get the army to take control of Axonite because he thinks he's going to be some hero. Um, but then they sort of get control of it uh, with the help of an American named uh, Bill Filer. And uh, they they use this power plant nearby and this advanced technology to uh, turn and the TARDIS to turn sort of the energy back on the axons with the master's help, too. And uh, they, when the, in the midst of doing that, the doctor tries to get them to, uh, to, tell, to tell them that he's going to give them sort of time travel. But he, he fools them. He actually gets the axon ship in a time loop, traps him in that, escapes at the last second. The master uh, runs off. Time. And it's, it's all good. very 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 good uh yeah the the master Uh, well yeah do do we don't even really know he runs off his starters he just gets into it right that that, gets into it that's all we see um yeah i i I always thought he'd be skipped yeah wow i i've i felt like i've total rabbit hole with the chin stuff because it was hard to summarize any of that because it's all political and uh, you, there's the army and the unit and there there's a there's a lot of interesting like it's very straightforward but the politics of this one is 
uh, one of the most interesting things about it, I thought. Where, really? Yeah. You know, you you have you have the doctor and the brigadier and unit on one side, and Chin and the army and the ministry on the other. And if only they weren't so, you know, uh, at each other's throats politically, like maybe we could actually thwart this creature a lot earlier than we did. Yeah, the doctor actually says England for the English, eh? Uh, it's to, such a memorable Chin. line. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah it's I, very interesting. I, I remember that one even from my first watching of it. It's just such a – and Pertwee, man, he is like – he is like almost borderline over the top on this one. Like he's he's really like going all out in his performance. Yeah, well, pretty, we yeah. we were previously – I'll just mention uh, while we're talking about Chen, we were previously a terror of the Autons in, in our mm. uh, random rewatch um, – Many many moons ago, and uh, we we encountered uh, Brown Rose, and that's the the government minister who's simply there, or the functionary who's simply there for the doctor to berate him. But like here in in Chin, here is someone who is actually worth the doctor berating, not like poor old Brown Rose. <laughs> well, I mean, the Pertwee era has a kind of internationalist sort of feel to it. I think you know he mm. when Pertwee attacks Brown Rose, it is. Along similar lines, isn't it? What about your responsibility to the planet or the universe right. or whatever? And I guess it's, is it Day of the Daleks where there's a giant peace conference where right. all the world's leaders will be there together and so on? And so that's kind of the feel of this era. And what mm. the fun thing is, of course, is that the horrible insular Little Englanders uh, nearly ruin uh, Axos's plans just by not wanting to distribute Axonite for kind of, you know, political reasons. Yeah. It's very interesting to, to watch this in the Brexit era mm-hmm. and uh, to think about that because this is the, the closest that we get to to the Doctor sort of attacking that kind of uh, English-British nat- nationalism. Um, and, you know, we, we, we see, you know, Chin personifying the sort of that sense of like, oh, we're, we're going to keep this to ourselves. We're not going to share it with our partners. But yeah, it's basically a, a story in in large part about that that sort of the um, uh, the conflict between the British government and units representing the mm-hmm. UN, uh, which you wouldn't necessarily see today. Like, but, but today it might be considered too political or too too uh, too on the nose. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but like, you know, it would be hard for it to be so obvious that that the UN were the good guys, right? And here it's just like, you know, yeah, Lethbridge-Stewart, like uh, as sort of the the ultimate Britain in many ways, kind of being the internationalist guy, being on the UN Mm. uh, side just just by default. And there's this whole shifting of like, who's in charge? Is it, um, you know, the Emergency Powers Act invoked, uh, uh, you know, at this point? And, um, you know, the brigadier gets arrested. One, One thing, like didn't really actually quite a few things didn't have time for in the summary. <laughs> That's kind of one of them. He gets arrested by Tim Piggott Smith. Yeah. Who is one of the most amazing <laughs> actors to have appeared in Doctor Who. And like he is here was at the, the very guy? Yeah, he's uh, Captain yeah. Harker. Yeah. And uh now we sort of recognize him from like literally everything. Uh certainly if you watch anything on BBC, he's in tons yeah. of stuff. I I, I just Mandragora. Yeah, yes. Oh, so wow. he does return in yeah, Doctor Who. Yeah. But in this, his first outing, like the, the way the uh, some of the camera shots are blocked in uh, episode two, which I think this is the first episode shows up in, like he's behind other actors at all times. You can't even see the face of the <laughs> who would become the most famous guy in this story. Yeah. <laughs> it like, barely gets any lines. It's so weird. Um, 
it's but like speaking, him and Olivia Coleman are like the most underused. Yeah, <laughs> like they went on to do amazing things. For but sure, yeah, like the um, the 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 chin chin. First of all, chin the name. I always I always find it weird. It's such a, like it's you think is it a Chinese guy? <laughs> it's like yeah. I guess it's chin with two ends, and I guess that makes it okay. But uh, if you sort of think about like this is clearly in the time when unit. Um, was meant to be in the near future, right? Yep. And you know, you can tell from sort of the technology and little subtle things like the uh, the video phone. Yeah. Which, uh, so it's not it's not overdone, but it's clearly the near future. So I think you know we see this before in a lot of uh, Doctor Who, not just in this era, but in uh, the Tenth Planet. We talked about this this expectation that we'd move further toward a global government with the UN mm. more powerful than was has really happened in the real world, right? So looking at this vision, it's kind of interesting to see the future as it was thought of uh, back then. And this would be sort of a conflict, an ongoing thing with like your nationalistic interests versus mm. the the good of humanity interests, which, you know, the doctor and, and the brigade yeah. are supposed to represent. Yeah, Chin uh, has a video conference with a defense minister, which is interesting. Obviously, mm. technology we didn't even have in the 80s. Um, but yeah, just, just before we leave that, that this sort of horrific caricature of a character that, that Chin is, uh, which is just, it's also interesting coming here straight here from Frontiers, which had like, you know, uh, had like Plantagenet and, uh, yeah. Brazen, you know, mm. the name of the character, <laughs> like Chin, he takes it on the chin. Uh, I, yeah, he's, it just, got some chins, he's got, he's got some chin, he's got several chins. Exactly. Uh, but he's sort of this, like he, he could have been a much better drawn character. It could have been much more kind of focus on his, um, you know, little Englander stance. Uh, mm. And then they have the throwaway line at the end, where it's like they're, they're being invaded by the axons in uh, the government's uh, energy facility. And he's like, don't you think we ought to negotiate? Which I guess if you've right. sort of been interested in his character all along, like this shows that he's just this sort of weenie little guy who, you know, he's a bull, you know, like all bullies sort of collapses at the, the first sign of actual conflict, but it's just kind of lost because we, we don't, we haven't really been following and we, we don't care. And we've forgotten about him by this point. Yeah, he does seem yeah. to disappear from the story a bit, doesn't he? He's very important up front. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and also, he's like, we, we introduced him as like he's the head of a committee looking into UNIT. Like, that's why he's investigating the doctor. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, like a, a scene later, he's ordering missile attacks. <laughs> <laughs> and the committee yeah, goes away as well. <laughs> you know. I mean, there's there's a lady, a sort of blonde lady sitting on the couch and another person who are in that opening scene and presumably yeah. that's the rest of the committee uh, and then they <laughs> kind of vanish midway through. It's like yeah, almost immediately <laughs> later. He, I mean, we have Brownrose and we have the guy in the Sea Devils as well, don't we, The the who has a very similar role, I think. I can't remember his name, but, Not you know, he's right, ordering... The, um, no, no, there's, yeah. a, there's a guy who comes and, uh, you know, orders bombings and stuff against the sea devils. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The and then there's the, the government minister in Inferno as well, who's sort of... It's always oh, yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's always someone who's, like, borderline xenophobic, and their response is let's let's kill him. And I, I it's funny, like in this era, that is kind of the brigadier in the Silurians. I don't want to, you know, it's more a little more sophisticated than that, but I think they must have thought, like, well, that's gonna get tiresome quickly. 
And you can't have the doctor in conflict with the direct conflict because brigadiers are out. They've got to be allies. Um, so I, I think it's it's actually kind of it might be show formula uh, what they're or, or they're trying to pay attention to the show structure, but it actually shows a little bit of growth on the brigadier's part. I think, and that like he kind of I mean obviously had orders in the Silurians, but um, that he's not the guy. Like he's kind of like I'm not going to kill the all the bad aliens right off the bat and he's also you know got to listen to the doctor because he's probably going to sort this out pretty quickly and you know you just you're kind of as an audience member you're constantly like why did why is everyone just listen to these guys they've already been through this like 600 times (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah the brigadier does know what they're doing the brigadier does go back and forth on on whether he's trigger happy or not i mean and, and he'll go back the other way in the green death right uh blowing up the uh the uh, the the coal the the uh, the coal mine oh, the or the maggots yes well, the maggots yeah I, you know yeah. I kind of understand that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but speaking of uh, you know maggots and weird creatures and and uh, rabbit holes that you didn't fall down uh, you uh, I think it's probably best that you didn't mention Pigbin Josh which is the yeah. name of the, the the tramp who appears at the start yeah. now having not seen Claws of Access. I assumed that when we had so much focus on on a tramp-like figure who f- seems very much like a caricature, that this was mm. going to be a bastard disguise. Uh-huh. Right? I, I saw Pigman Josh. I was like, well, this is clearly going to be the master, right? He's he's just pretending to be a tramp and kind of ranting to himself. But no, he actually is a a uh, weirdly uh, fleshed out character for for someone who just gets devoured by by uh by access in the first five minutes and it's sort of become legendary because of this uh it's and- <laughs> it, doctor who really has a problem in this era with people who aren't middle class or you know, <laughs> right. upper middle class. and you remember sam and meg seeley in spearhead from space as well mm-hmm. sort of famous working class people who are just kind of horrible um, and Pigman Josh is just indefensible. I mean, he can't even talk, can he? He just sort of makes noises. Um, and we, you know, we're kind of not too worried that he gets killed because he's a sort of poor person. He's surplus to requirements. It's he really can't even handle a bike very well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the only reason we know he's called Pigman Josh is because he's in the credits, right? And yeah. like, he has no one to talk to. There's no dialogue. He's just no. muttering to himself. Uh, and poor guy. Interesting yeah. note. On his death scene, or not his death scene, with the body, because he mm. dies when he's absorbed by Axos and uh, ejected, I guess they say. But his face starts to collapse, I think, when Yates, I forget if it's Benton or Yates, but one of them touches it, and then it flashes to white. And apparently yeah. it's because Barry Letts thought it just looked terrible when the when the face sort of caved in, the special effect they did. And But it actually survives in, if you look at the, like, the deleted scenes on the DVD, you oh. can see it. And so, uh, I so I watched it, and it's it's funny how like having watched special effects now for you know in 2022 for so long, hmm. it's hard to calibrate to that era anymore. Like what's good and what's bad for the time, because it's like, well, yeah, it doesn't look great, but I mean, does anything? Right now? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, it's all like it, I, I got it. It's fine. It sort of caves in, and it's it's comparable to when sort of remember when one of the the female axon is absorbed into back into axos, you know, and yeah. sort of balloon, the face sort of balloons. It's comparable to that, just sort of in reverse. 
So, you know, I thought it was fine. It's, I actually thought it was too horrific. I thought that was the problem. Not that it was a really terrible special effect, but that it would mm. uh, frighten the kiddies. And oh. so that's why we went to white. I, could I might be, have misunderstood horrible when he was <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Because, I mean, plenty of horrible special effects go to air in this serial. I mean, yeah. You know, we'd be constantly uh, fading to white. <laughs> yeah. I think it was a body horror kind of thing, which is, again, mm. another reason, interesting reason to have been brought here from Frontiers, which was supposed to have a lot more body horror in it. Um, mm. But yeah, there, there are a lot of. It, it is a great story for unintentional hilarity, I think. Which which is <laughs> which is part of the joy. Let's be honest. Part of the joy of watching classic Who is some of those moments. And for me, it kicked off when uh, you know my wife watched some of it with me. She watched basically the first episode and the fourth episode. And uh, the reason we didn't we didn't watch the second episode is because it immediately came up with the the publicity shot. And you may have seen this one. It's uh, Pertwee and Delgado standing on either side of the photo and they're sort of you know they've got hands on hips they're kind of looking at each other sternly and the the spaghetti axon is between them and it's just mm-hmm. it's one of those caption this moments where you just like you just <laughs> imagine one of them saying to the other well i didn't order the spaghetti you know I, <laughs> why do we always come to this italian restaurant i don't know the servings are just ridiculous um <laughs> You know, just we couldn't get past that. She couldn't get past the uh, spaghetti costumes when they are climbing on top of uh, Benton and Yates's uh, Land Rover. Is it? You know, they just yeah, right. <laughs> and they're falling all over them. And yet, there are some scenes when the, where the spaghetti accent's kind of scary. Kind of yeah, works. I, I think when it focuses on the face yeah. and like the the electric lash. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it kind of it's an interesting sort of representation of what classic Who can do, right? Pivot from hil- un- unintentionally hilarious to actually quite scary. I think that the axons actually tend to look really bad in the distance, and mm. in that scene where they're clearly sort of stunt guys dressed as axons falling right. off the Land Rover, it yes. just looks like a sort of comfortable padded outfit that it would be fun to fall off a Land Rover in. <laughs> you know, like it, <laughs> they really are kind of terrible. I can't get over the eye of Axos for God's sake that that ever mm. made it to air that they didn't fade to white whenever that appeared on screen. I was sort of uncomfortably reminded of a previous boyfriend i think it's 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 really a problem it's very very bad Uh, sometimes an eye of access is just an eye of access (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it is we should definitely talk about the interior of of the of access of the ship which is the actual claws which is probably the worst part of it I, i really I really enjoyed the actual creatures, like like you said, especially from the uh, when you get close to them. Um, I thought they are very effective as sort of action monsters because you kind of know what they can do. I think one of the problems with a lot of Doctor Who monsters is that they they physically you don't they they, they look kind of cool sometimes, but they, they you don't actually see like well I forget what, what I was talking about with this. There was there was a uh, but there was a, a monster in in New Who that you just kind of like okay like. But, uh, you, what 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 exactly are you going to do to me when you get close to me? But th- <laughs> here it's clear, right? Like the tendrils come out; they can kill you, disintegrate you, capture you. Mm. And there, when you don't have an eye on something, mm. you know, mm. I feel like that's automatically you your your fear goes up because you can't you don't really know how this thing's sensing things, and it it it's just creepy. You're just trying to figure out what it, how it even interacts with the world. So I like that. 
But man, when you get inside, I mean, those little claws on the walls and they're kind of yes. like <laughs> the, rudely the on the grabbing walls. people and ways. And there's actually really... a point where, where they grab Joe Grant's kind of <laughs> round she... their skirt area. And you're just kind of like, okay. She did say, she said this in an interview with Radio Times in 2012, that she'd never been so manhandled um, <laughs> uh, at all. And unintentionally, apparently, as when the, the claws were, you know, kind of... Uh, around her breasts and uh yeah that was apparently not just you know like casual sexism in the 70s workplace it was just that the guys operating couldn't see what they were doing right but yeah calling it the claws of access is sort of like calling genesis of the daleks the clams of scarrow right (laughs) i don't know of any other title that draws attention to like the worst special effect in the story like you know instead of the talons of wen chiang the rats of the london sewers um (laughs) yeah it's kind of weird which which does we we should mention like this wasn't originally called the clause of access right it's gone through perhaps more title changes than than Mm. certainly any other story we've encountered so far started off as the gift then it, it was mm. like Doctor Who in the gift for a while, and then the friendly invasion. Um, and then it became, I think because of Terence Dix's involvement, <laughs> the vampire from space or the vampires from yeah. space, mm-hmm. which is just uh, interesting because we've recently been to a state of decay, right? And learned in that just how much Terence Dix loves vampires. So <laughs> it's kind of funny to see them try to get them in here or try to say that, no, these guys are actually vampires. Uh, right it's kind of like it's, it's a bit inaccurate you know and it also it kind of gives it away doesn't it i mean <laughs> not that the clause of axos sounds terribly friendly but <laughs> i mean if it's a vampire yeah. from space you know okay right off the bat we got to kill this thing right yeah. <laughs> that is, it's yeah, amazing it's amazing that they even considered The Gift as a title because mm. it's such a non-Doctor Who title, isn't it? It's absolutely right. like Terror of the Gift, you know, The Gift <laughs> of Death, possibly, but not not The Gift. And, the Gift of and Fear. It, <laughs> yeah, but it's actually a really good title because I think the idea is it's a sort of Trojan horse thing, isn't right. it? Uh, it's yes. absolutely central to what's going on here. and. You know, how do the humans react to being given this thing? And the master says it's something that just exploits human greed. Um, yeah, very smart. And I yeah. liked, um, I, li- I actually really like the cliffhanger to episode two where the, the doctor puts of it together. Death. Oh, I okay, think no. <laughs> <laughs> no, the bit where just right before the cliffhanger, basically, the doctor is like, uh, he f- sort of dawns on yeah. him. He's like, wait a minute, the axonite, the ship, the creatures, it's, it's all the same thing. Like yeah. it's all just this virus hmm. that's coming to, to sort of eat us. And, you know, I just think that like, I remember it's, it's, as a concept, it's just really, really simple and really good. Um, so I thought uh, it was a really smart way to do it. And, you know, again, I think once that realization is made, it's they're throwing roadblock after roadblock in front of him to stop him from, from dealing with it. Um but but it is like one of the you know it's this thing of like the MacGuffin is the problem, right. uh, which was kind of a good good little twist. So since since we're talking about the the gift and the origins of this, we should say that this this goes back to all the way to 1968. It was originally uh, proposed as a Troughton story, 
Uh, and it's Bob Baker and Dave Martin's first outing for Doctor Who. They they would later come up with K nine most famously. Uh, but you know, Terence Dix was involved, um, and uh, they they you know Dix basically asked them to write a Doctor Who script, and the original idea was that a massive pulsating space brain shaped like a jellyfish lands in Hyde Park <laughs> and reshapes itself <laughs> into a giant skull, which, okay. Um, and then uh, there was, there was going to be galactic battles and a cliffhanger in which a spaceship pilot uh, was either strapped to or turning into a giant, giant carrot. So... <laughs> well, they got a carrot. I mean, you know... <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I, mean, I gotta say the ship's great i mean like yeah. you get right off the bat just by looking at, oh it's organic you know like yeah. oh i get it this is this is a ship but it's very unusual and there's you know it's like i thought the the effects again calibrated for the time were all fine like the psychedelic stuff inside you know like the 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 ideas they were getting across were clear the whole time and you know i just thought it was it was just really well done for 1970s doctor who Mm. I think the interior of Axos is amazing. I mean, the exterior yeah. breathes, doesn't it? You you can see the model breathing as it heads towards Earth. And, mm. you know, it, it embeds itself into the Earth for kind of budgetary reasons, I guess. But once, <laughs> right. you know, once we're actually inside, there's CSO, there's actual kind of practical kind of lava lamp stuff being projected on the walls. Uh, things are... You know, there's miniatures. The whole thing is sort of made out of this sort of mishmash of weird special effects technologies. And increasingly you get overlays and things being superimposed upon one another. It's really, really strange. And I think it is absolutely the most striking thing about the story is just how weird it is. Mm -hmm. And I think Doctor Who needs to be putting weird things on screen. Mm. <laughs> I have this sort of ongoing thing about 90s Star Trek, which is, you know, it's people talking cheaply in standing sets most of the time. And <laughs> nothing, nothing very weird is happening. Doctor Who can be like that. It can be just, you know, rubber lizards or something, you know, and we're all standing around talking about them. But this absolutely has ambitions to be the weirdest, strangest thing that you've ever seen. And, and yeah. you know, like last week you were talking about uh, the the tractators producing that beam that wouldn't have been out of place in a sort of um, <laughs> 80s pop yep. video. I mean, there's heaps of top of the pop stuff going on here. I think totally. in Axos as well. It's very 1971. And we, we did talk about this mm. a little bit with Inferno, how kind of psychedelic bits of Inferno are where, where the doctor mm. goes into the sideways universe you know, it's very, very trippy and kind of wouldn't look out of place in like a, you know, a, a Rolling Stone short film of of the era. Uh, and this this has the same thing. And when you when we first see the the human axons and they appear with like that that amazing gold face, which I think are actually the best costume of yeah. the whole thing is like the the gold mm. face with the eyes of the eyes looks super creepy. Um, apparently, that gold paint was extremely hard to wash off, and once they were. <laughs> They were they were gold and then they were beat red apparently according to uh, the guys playing them. But they but they they appear and they they just sort of they look so they look so 1971. And mm. I you know the doctor has this line of like you know there you go minister there's your there's your enemy and I I sort of felt like he was going to add you know it's the hippies um, like we were going <laughs> to start hearing Age of Aquarius mm. in the background. It definitely mm. has that feel of like. 
yes, we we have come. We are the enlightened race. We have come to your Earth. We are, you know, uh, spaceship Earth. Like you know, it, it, it sort of fed into that whole notion of early seventies of you know cosmic far outness and 2001 a space odyssey and you know really had a lot of those vibes and i i love what they did visually inside the ship i think you're absolutely right nathan it really looked great there, there's even sort of quite a boring scene where the male axon is delivering valuable exposition to joe and the doctor mm. over a screen do you remember mm-hmm. and like it yeah. keeps fading yeah. between him being sort of facing one way and just facing sort of 10 yeah. degrees to the left as he's delivering it. And there's no reason for it. There's no storytelling reason. It is just determined to be weird. And when they feed the power of the power station back into it and the uh, uh, the Doctor and Joe are in there for the Episode 3 cliffhanger, there's just weird gold axon heads kind of flying around yeah. with yep. no, no sensible reason. It really is great. It's so superb. Yeah. Well, it also and, just adds to the, the the danger. Like when the enemy can disorient you and, and alter mm. what you think is real and keep you constantly like, what? Is it this? Is it that? Are they here? What's What are they even doing here? What's their motivation? Um, I think it just really adds to this uh, you know, like it's it's just you don't know what what to think anymore, and you might not even know why they're here, what they're doing. Uh, yeah. You start to question everything, and um, it just you kind of think is it just going to end up being all a dream? <laughs> so, yeah, you got to wonder: did someone on the production team drop acid? Uh, because oh, it, it definitely has that feeling of, of yeah. being a bad trip. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you remember when when Joe hears Bill Filer's voice, the male mm-hmm. axon says, "Proximity to our this." part of the studio causes weird hallucinations and things. And it's really easy to believe because that's entirely what they're about. Yeah, yeah. And he's gaslighting her, which is just kind of interesting. When he keeps doing that, but because of their power, you're kind of like, oh, okay, sure. You know? Yeah, it's easy to believe. Yeah, yeah. Give me more of that that good accident, man. Come on, just one more hit. (laughs) Yeah, one more hit. Yeah, the first accident is free. Uh, the, the first enlarged frog is free. Uh, yeah, there's, there's also like the most psychedelic use of math ever in, in Doctor oh, yeah. Like there's that scene where it gets fed, the equations get fed directly into Axos. And like you see the equations appear on the screen as the Doctor's thinking them. Uh, mm. Right. And it's like, wow, this is. You know, is is this sort of a you know uh, Doctor Who's remit to be educational, right? You know, still around in the early seventies, and like, are we we trying to get kids used to equations here, and you know, uh, make <laughs> equations cool? Nonsense, though, aren't they? <laughs> they are nonsense. Yeah. But then the Doctor has the Doctor has Joe like do basic arithmetic in her right. head mm. to help get out of the ship, which is. Mm. Uh, or props to Joe because this is probably the the most agency she has in the entire story. Right. It's like actually yeah. getting that math right faster than any of us could, certainly in that situation. Yeah, at some point she's like, uh, she's doing three times seven, and then it's adding something else, and then at some point it's in times thirty five, which I kind of want to say, oh, f you, like. <laughs> <laughs> Ask Siri. <laughs> you know? This is definitely one of those series. Since you mentioned Siri, I, I definitely had that thought during this story of like, 
why doesn't the doctor just jump ahead a few decades, pick up some cell phones, bring them back, you know, hand them out to his entire team? Because it would just, you know, obviate the need for like, well, I don't know what the doctor said about Axos. He's like, you know, stuck inside the ship now. And like, you know, there's, there's a lot of that separation of like, you know, we have to rely, rely on, on Bill bill filer for you know what the doctor said about something right there's game of telephone going on um which would have just totally been obviated by if he had siri if he had a cell phone mm-hmm. technology with him uh but yes i guess he can't do that in 1971 <laughs> um, well if he'd nipped out mid-invasion he would have gone yeah. to the that, uh, <laughs> had been completely eaten by axos i guess Um, (laughs) so there's a whole subplot in this where like the brigadier is constantly getting arrested or is in control and you know there's like either the army or unit i mean we touched on a little Mm. bit earlier but i felt like uh i kind of couldn't keep track of when he was a prisoner or wasn't and even though like i also feel like there was a missed opportunity here to underscore the difference between unit and sort of the british army and that like and again this is 1970s doctor who but, you know, it's essentially one group of uniformed white guys, British, all British versus mm. another. And one has slightly darker fatigues. Right. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it would have been nice to see at the time, like, you know, if it's a unit force, why not have it a little more diverse and have it a little more like just a little more a cl- more clarity on like the operational differences between these two groups. Yeah. Right? Who's who's the goodies uh, and who's the baddies? Yeah. Yeah, uh, but the Brigadier does seem very confident throughout that that he has the authority, he has control. I kind of kind of like that for his character. Yeah, it's almost just... like my, con- my my confusion about it almost is is a praise for Nicholas Courtney, who yeah. throughout it is always in charge. Like even yeah. even when he's a prisoner, he's like on the phone, he's got the gloves. It's like I think you'd better yes. check your orders, Sergeant, or <laughs> exactly. whatever it is. You know, like you know, he's he- constantly big dogging people. He's so amused by Chin in that very first scene where Chin's complaining <laughs> the doctor doesn't have a file and he just thinks Chin's hilarious. And I think that's one of my favourite Nick things is even in uh, Spearhead from Space, he thinks the doctor's hilarious as well. Um, right. Yeah, you know, Bob Baker and Dave Martin will be very cruel to the Brigadier a bit later on, I think. Uh, but here they get him exactly right and Nick is just perfect in it i think are you talking about the three doctors yeah yeah yeah. i think you know bob baker and dave martin are full of ideas and you can see them just sort of spilling off the page here but i think that just generally speaking each story they produce they uh write is worse than the previous (laughs) 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 well they're they're a reliable pair of hands aren't they but uh they, well, they, they did uh, have to put up with and did not like the fact that they had to insert the master in in mm. this story uh, mm. because, of course, the master was in every uh, every story in this particular season. Uh, you know, we can argue about the effectiveness of that. But, but yeah, they sort of had to squeeze him in at the last minute and they, they kind of did so under duress. But the master ends up kind of being the best thing arguing yeah, oh, yeah. about Clause of Access. You know, all credit to Delgado, obviously, for that. But also the fact that, okay, I think we're, I think we're going to get to early, perhaps, one of the, the, the major reasons the randomizer brought us here, which is that I mistakenly said several pull-to-opens ago that I really like stories where the TARDIS is involved mid-story. Right? <laughs> and uh you know ever since that there like it go. took us to frontios where the targus mm-hmm. does a big part you know gets blown up mid-story and then 
brought back together. Like, and the same is going on here, where we see the interior of the TARDIS the first time since the War Games, uh, which is amazing. We hadn't right. seen we hadn't seen it that we we know from Inferno. We saw the console outside the TARDIS, uh, but they, they've re- they've rebuilt it. And like it's and it's a weird TARDIS. It's all over the place. And this, to my mm. mind, is not only the, the best uh, Delgado performance in in Clause of Access, but possibly across his whole run, where he just he 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 lays into the Doctor's TARDIS. He he just <laughs> disses it so extreme. Like he he just he's. He's talking to himself, walking around the console, which we can see is in a complete state. It's a mess. There are wires everywhere. It's like walking into a teenager's bedroom. And the Mm. master is just kind of dropping bombs everywhere on the the doctor. Like, (laughs) how would you keep this in such a state? Like, what what does he call it at some point? It's like trying to ride a toaster. Or something? No, trying to fly a secondhand gas stove. Is yes. Or something like that. It's so great. Not just a gas stove, a secondhand <laughs> gas stove. It's so good. He's so embarrassed when he's first revealed as well up against the mm. wall with the claws. Like he's just visibly embarrassed to be here. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I think the doctor, I think the master, the real threat that the master always poses is that he'll take over the show because right. he's a Time Lord. We know that one of the superpowers of a Time Lord is to be the star of Doctor Who. And and the master risks being more fun and enjoyable than the Doctor. Mm. And I think it's why Missy is so great. I think it's exactly what happens in Sound of Drums, Last of the Time Lords, where the Doctor gets shrunk down to nothing and the Master gets to do all the fun things and have a TARDIS (laughs) and say funny lines. And he, the Doctor, is such a jerk in this story all the time. (laughs) He's he's so obnoxious and and he's not with Joe quite enough, I think, in this era this doctor pertwee is at his best when he's being nice to joe and yeah. here he's kind of horrible to her and yeah. he's she's not in it all that much and i think the master is charming as hell working with unit uh in the in the power complex he's great i would absolutely yeah. watch him you know the show starring delgado uh sooner than a show starring pertwee i think at this point yeah the I think master it's great when, he when, basically, when math, yeah. He basically becomes Unit's new scientific advisor, yeah. like in, in yeah. five minutes. Uh, and he's much more scene. helpful. Yeah. He explains what's going on. He's charming. He's terribly polite. He's all of the things that the Doctor isn't. Yeah, and yeah. I think it leads to one of the best scenes in the show, um, and it's actually even better. You know, I, I think now, you know, thirty, forty years on, fifty years on, God, um, in that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, it's the bit where he it's a, uh, getting close to the cliffhanger of episode three, and he's like he has the line, either Axos destroys the world or we destroy it. Well, along, along with mm. the Doctor, what is it to be, Brigadier? And it's this. If you think about it, it's kind of the same sort of horrible choice. Like uh, imagine it with the Doctor there. You yeah. know, like would it really be that different? And I think it's it's actually ends up being the scene where you can. You can find the difference between the Doctor and the Master because echoes of that choice are repeated throughout the show, but certainly in the new series with um, the Time War and what the Doctor had to do to uh, prevent uh, to to end it. And it's it's kind of like you you the, the 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 Doctor that we want is Chris Eggleston at the end of Party of the Ways, where he's like, "I'm not going to do it. 
You know, mm. I'm a coward any day, given that choice. And the master, yeah. like this is, if you want to well, look at this scene as a pro, as a proxy of like the the razor between the two characters, the master will do it. He will do the, what needs to be done, and uh, even though there will be collateral damage, but the doctor will always make that choice to find some other way. And I think mm. that that's sort of a, you know, uh, to me when I when I was watching this this time, uh, sort of cried out to me. Yeah. I think the master relishes putting them in that position, actually. Like, True. he makes the same decision that the Doctor would have made, but I just don't think they put the Doctor quite in those sort of trolley problem situations. Um, Literally what I was about to say, the master is the master of the trolley problem. Absolutely. <laughs> but he, <laughs> he, he loves it. Yeah, yeah. He likes having, uh, you know, having the Brigadier make that call. It's excellent. <laughs> it's, yes. And and the, the fact that, so... Again, you know, I'll, I'll emphasize this is my first time watching Clause of Access. And uh, I, I had not known that, that Pertwee's Doctor could be such a dick. I mean, he kind of is at the end of Inferno, you know, first of all, abandoning an entire sideways universe to their doom. But secondly, like, you know, taking off and, you know, giving the, the brigadier almost the finger as he departs. Um, <laughs> and, and here he, he is. Like, on him. Yeah, well, that's that's fair, but you know, he, oh, no, wait, you're talking uh, about the, the, the real, yeah, the, the real brigadier. brigadier. Yeah. When, when the brigade he lands, yeah, yeah. He, he lands on he lands on a trash heap and comes back and yeah. sort of sheepishly has to come running back, uh, which is sort of echoed here, right? By the way, the ending of the totally. clause of access, like, oh, I'm a galactic yo-yo. The time lords have actually mm. programmed it to always come back to Earth. I guess I've got to be nice to you again. Um, but yeah, he's a super dick here. And it's interesting because, again, I think the randomizer wants to bring me down because we were talking about this notion of how like, you, you don't, if you want to make the, the Doctor unlikable, you do it in a, in a Troughton way, right? Rather than a right. mm. uh, Colin Baker way. Irritating with a recorder rather than, you know, trying to strangle your companion. Well, uh, you know, Pertwee here is is he goes further than Capaldi and like kill the moon, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. to take one example of you know Capaldi's doctor running away uh, from the problem, and uh, Forest of the Night sort of almost has another uh, kind of similar scene. You know, that whole season is kind of playing with this notion of like you know Capaldi's doctor is a coward and he runs away and he's kind of an asshole, and and here Pertwee does it does does far worse with trying to sort of. Say goodbye to unit. Goodbye to goodbye, Joe. I'll miss you most of all. Um, uh, and then, uh, like, oh, I'm off with the master. You know, we're we're space boyfriends now. <laughs> um, you know, makes sense. Yeah. Going to abandon you all to our doom. Uh, so it's interesting. It's kind of challenging this notion of like, can the doctor be a dick uh, and get away with it? Because Pertwee kind of can. Uh, yeah, I, and I think honestly, just... in in hindsight, in in looking back, it's he kind of is, you know, throughout. Yeah. Uh, I mean, because he's 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 there reluctantly, and we kind of have almost like rose colored glasses looking back on the Pertwee era. Sometimes, mm. oh, he was the scientific advisor, and they were all chums, and yay! But it was like, no, he was constant. Like even in Spearhead from Space, he nearly ditches them like right off the bat. You know, there's like the the plastic there's already some kind of danger and the plastic things landed and he's just nah i'm blowing this popsicle stand and he's kind of doing <laughs> the same thing again like he's he's like uh, you know he he seems to intend to leave even though he still doesn't have the like equations in his head like he's mm. he's gonna have some operational tardis and he's like it, it just seems like it's so fundamental to him to have that freedom yeah. to just go out wherever that he, he he lashes out when he doesn't have it 
you do get the sense that he kind of means it. Like it's, you know, yeah. in part he's trying to fool the master, but he kind of means it. I mean, he's not going to li- abandon the world and let it die and ally themselves with Axos. That's not going to happen, but he is going to, he, he's going to leave. He's going to go. He does so. it in Terror of the Autons, doesn't he? Where he gets the master's uh, dematerialization right. circuit and he tries to mm. leave. And I think all that faffing about in part two, which is kind of super boring, really, where he's sort of there with Windsor and Hardiman and whatever. Um, I think that that happens to sort of set up the idea that he wants to leave, to make his threat to leave just a little bit more credible because he seems Mm. to have been spending his time trying to use Axonite to possibly repair the TARDIS in some way. You know, so so we've already got the idea that he's going to leave. I think, you know, Pertwee's really obnoxious in Series 7. I think he starts to calm down a bit in Series 8, and it is when... I think because because it's very clear that he loves Joe, um, mm, mm. and we love Joe because she's Katie Manning and she's mm-hmm. tremendous and stuff. So we end up loving the Doctor, and I think by, I guess next season, that's really kind of how the relationship settled. A bit uncomfortable here, him yelling at her when she's having a panic attack in the yeah. you yeah. know after the. Does he slap her in the face? I I think he comes to, really close. Yeah. Kind of, he definitely grabs her and he's shaking he her. And this her is very stuff. like 1960s, 70s, yeah, you know, right. gender. How, how is that meant to calm anyone down? Like you're being <laughs> shaken by someone a foot taller than you. It definitely down. definitely reminded me of the scene from Airplane. It's like <laughs> a whole long line of people like, calm down, calm down. Can't you see? We need you to not panic. Uh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, there was total a moment like that. There is also a moment where so Axos gets uh, information out of the Doctor by aging Joe. Yeah, uh, oh, and it's it's not the best special effect in the world. It's a little bit creepy, but I kind well, of yeah. you know. I'm I'm generally against like special editions and updating stuff, but I would love it if, you know, given that Katie Manning is so involved in Doctor Who still, for her to just sort of like 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 let's actually superimpose old Katie Manning on there. Um, you know, and it, it wouldn't she's like, still it wouldn't fabulous though. She's still fabulous, yeah. but yeah, yeah, I guess you sort of do need the doctor. Maybe maybe like we we age current Katie Manning even more and like, you know, gives her a little <laughs> That's it. you know Little, little, little bad makeup, and I think yeah, that would be yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they. She actually talks, mentions that uh, during the commentary. Uh, actually, it's Richard <laughs> Franklin because she's doing it with Richard Franklin, and uh, he mentions that that should just be you now, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what, a what did she? What did she say to that? Did she she into the idea. I mean, in the face. Yeah. <laughs> We didn't hear from Richard after that. Point. <laughs> yeah, <it's> like, <laughs> there were stabbing sounds in the background, a gentle sort of hiss. Uh, they actually do it in the reconstruction of the last episode of the Daleks Master Plan, where mm. Sarah Kingdom is being aged, and mm. they have like photos of Jean Marsh and and oh, and stuff as she cool. is now or was when they created the thing, which was pretty cool. So yeah, yeah. and yeah, of course, so there's terminus, not terminus. Well, talk about. Uh, Mordred Undead, we pulled Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we talked about that age. when we went to that. That was the scariest <laughs> special effect of the the age, the sudden aging of the companions, Tegan mm. and Nissa. 
Yeah. Well, th- th- not to read too much into Pertwee's reaction when he like he's like I don't know if he screams more at any other point where he screams stop <laughs> like when they're aging Joe it's like no I need my hot companion that's the <laughs> fundamental part of the show oh yeah, yeah. he's got to be yeah. young and cute yeah she wouldn't look great in a mini skirt anymore come on <laughs> it's a great mini skirt isn't it I, oh yeah. my god uh, you know. And, and this is where else of, to look, <laughs> right? And and also, this is one of those stories. Like you know, it's it's so the weather was so bad it was built into the script, right? Yep. They, it's one of those where they have to talk about freak weather conditions, which also happened in Robot of Sherwood, by the way. We when we when we went there, we <laughs> right. noted that. Uh, but yeah, they they had such bad weather, even for Britain in January, in in the part of Kent, uh, Dungeness, I believe it was, where they were filming this. Right. Uh, that which apparently looked in the exactly script. the same. Yeah, <laughs> just sort of. I there there are so many scenes of like you know running around in wet car parks that I just had that sort right. of shiver of recognition of like, oh yeah that's Britain. Oh. Well, the, well, the skirts came up many times in the yeah. commentary because uh, Katie Manning was unfortunately had to wear them the entire time. Yes, <laughs> while, while in that else weather, in essentially long johns, mm. and oh her God. kneecaps have apparently not recovered. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Poor Katie. I mean, no wonder Joe followed the disobeyed orders and followed them into the ship. It was warm in there. (laughs) Goodness. Don't criticize her for that, Brigadier. All right, guys. I think we got a couple more key questions to answer before we can leave (laughs) the claws of Axis. So, Nathan, as you might know, we've already tackled one of these, is why the randomizer brought us here. But we also like to ask ourselves, what if the evil plot had succeeded? And sometimes we have to... Uh, identify the evil plot. Sometimes there's more than one, and sometimes there isn't any. But um, I'll uh, I'll give you first right of refusal to answer this one on uh, your theory on what would happen if the evil plot succeeded. Well, here I think it's really just obvious what's happening, isn't it? Uh, so, um, what? The Axos eats all life on Earth. That's clearly the threat, mm. uh, which just means that the demons ends up being just, you know, the BBC playing light music for 25 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or maybe it's uh, so Colony in Space is the next one, right? Uh, chronologically. Oh, yeah, and, the future and, wouldn't have happened, would it? Yeah, like, yeah. Colony in Space, yeah. Yeah, or maybe the Doctor is just stuck there. Um like, I can't well, come back to Axos Earth. Well, maybe the indigenous back. people of Uxarius get to have a fun time instead of being colonized by some very drab people. <laughs> you know, one thing I'm not confused about in the evil plot, yeah, it's definitely like that Axos wants to consume Earth. Why does the Master want to destroy all life on Earth? That seems like to be, like, is that, because they talk about it in, I think, episode two when they're talking about the bargain they made and the Master wants the Doctor dead. And and the master also goes, oh, but you're also going to kill all life on Earth, right? And I it's think like, he just he's doing it to annoy the Doctor. Do you think? Yeah. To make yeah. give him the sads, or, so or get like his revenge. attention. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I guess. Like the, hitting the someone does in the playground like... and running away. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, this this is a through line with the master right through to Missy. Right? Is you know, yeah. Missy was you know. Pausing planes in the sky just to get the doctor's attention. Like, you <laughs> well, know. even even Sasha Dewan, really, like he killed yeah. old Gallifrey. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's you know. <laughs> well, he got one, that was, one planet to get her. That attention. was his rage. <laughs> that was his rage at the timeless child uh, plotline coming through yeah, there, fair. right? Which uh, you know, I've I've definitely felt like that. And so, 
I, I think I RTD it. brings it back. I think each showrunner has to either like alternately destroy or recreate Gallifrey. Uh, mm. So you know, RTD destroys it. Uh, Moffat brings it back. Chibnall destroys it. So uh, right, to Gallifrey. <laughs> oh, uh, turn back again. Do you think? Good point. Yeah, Good could point. be. So mm. yeah, so so the Earth is destroyed if the evil plot succeeded because all of the Axonite is being distributed to uh, strategic points on on everywhere. The Earth. Yeah, yeah. But, but everyone Canada gets attacked might... by giant duvets and dies. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm thinking like Canada might come out okay because <laughs> the guy's so stingy gives Ottawa one. <laughs> I don't think Australia a... got any, did it? Yeah. Did get any? <laughs> no, it no not according to that little lecture that we get from like the world's cheapest world map um, <laughs> in episode four. There, it's, it's just it's the ministry guy explaining its chin, ex- explaining suddenly very obsequiously to to uh, the the axon dude. Uh, you know where where he's you know here we are sir we've, we've sent all these things around the world sir what do you think sir um, he just wants <laughs> so a good doctor yeah he? and he's like oh so I got a headache I got a headache Tylenol it feels like spaghetti it's coming down bad trip speaking of the distribution of axonite um, this might this is my theory on where the Clara splinter might be in this episode so as we all know. Clara was split by going through the Doctor's time stream, and we like to find her in old episodes to maybe even patch up certain plot holes. So I feel like the distribution of, of Axonite is probably not done very well. <laughs> it's kind of an incompetent job. And she's yeah. like some bureaucrat, like, I don't know, send, send Ottawa one, send one over here. <laughs> like, we don't. Or just like switching them out oh. with, uh, you know, bits of plastic. At the, at, at the loading dock. Yeah, it's. Uh, did, did I miss a line or something? Or did I just sort of space out when they explained? Like, uh, because the, that distribution is happening, right? The Axonite is being distributed around, around the planet. Is it just that it's going to stay inert in all those locations? If, if you know, the, the, if the Doctor deals with Axos itself with the time loop? Well, Doesn't everything with- disappear? Everything kind of disappears as Axos leaves. So yeah, I'm it's, the it's one. Of, it, it's again. I think it's kind of a missed opportunity, but obviously for budget reasons, they can't show the Axonite coming alive in all these other locations. Mm. I think there is sort of an implication that when they begin the feeding cycle, which is why those things start to emerge everywhere, presumably the Axonite that that has, starts to happen wherever Axonite's been distributed. Um, they really could have there. They, get they could have just had a few scenes of like you know the Axonite appearing on the other end, and, and you could have you know for for cheapness's sake, could just have an, a line where Chen is on the phone, like that's right. Make sure it's all distributed to quarries. I said quarries. <laughs> <laughs> they could make just... sure the wet and miserable quarries. They could have just employed Mrs. Farrell's interior decorator and had sort of various CSO offices and stuff around the world. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, back in the Tenth Planet, we actually had the you know the uh, International yeah. Space Authority in Geneva. So you know yeah, that's yeah. so good, isn't it? And suddenly the Cybermen turn up there. It's tremendous. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I got it. I got it. So there's there's a Clara Splinter. She's multiple ones. She's all over the world here. And at every time an accident comes in, it's it's Clara, and it's like speaking a different language or whatever. Like, oh, yeah, I'm Kishan, and she just throws it in the bin. You know, it's like, <laughs> done. 
Or maybe there's some like Indiana Jones warehouse somewhere where it still has all the Axonite in it. Uh, Oh, in the Maxonite. Maybe that was tower under the tower. Mm. (laughs) I I wanted to imagine a scene because there's so few women in this story. Like it's ridiculous, isn't it? There's the blonde lady sitting on the on the sofa in the first scene, and there's Corporal Bell. Uh, and let's pour one out for Corporal Bell. She's a regular. <laughs> she's in another story. Right. Uh, and uh, and I was just imagining Corporal Bell, who is superb, like best thing ever. And I can I was imagining a sort of end of scene reveal where that was Clara all along, and she kind of looks mm. at the camera and winks, and we never really find out what she's up to. <laughs> and it's not explained how she got there uh, within the spirit of the whole thing. That that would be great. If if Doctor Who ever did post-credit sequences, that would be (laughs) (laughs) It was me all along. (laughs) Oh, RCD, we've got ideas. (laughs) Call us. Call us. us. (laughs) All right, so guys, that's the bottom line on this one. Our rating system, it's either a Dalek, good, Ogron, bad, or Viscount Banger, which might be, you're in in the, the top 10 of all time, so... Chris, why don't you want to go first? Oh, I, I, I got to go uh, Ogron on this, but it's an Ogron who's having the first LSD trip of his life, uh, <laughs> and he's he's seeing some seeing some trippy things, man. But then that that Ogron is going to have to tell you about it for the next five years. <laughs> very very boring dinner party guest. Nice, Nathan. Oh, actually, we'll wait. We'll go. What? I'll, I'll go next, and then okay. you can you can you can decide because I'm going to go with a Dalek. Because it's a shinier Dalek than I remember, and it's mostly because of what you guys were talking about, the, the Delgado's performance and the Master, and me bringing the lens of New Who on this one actually made me sort of appreciate all the Doctor Master stuff and the Unit Master mm-hmm. stuff even more. I think the Master is much more interesting when he has a chance to talk and interact and actually do things, and he's not just sort of a one-dimensional, I'm going to do this thing um even if it is kind of a semi-interesting thing like he does in sort of dark water death in heaven i think i think when there's more going on there and you he's forced to think and do things on his feet and adjust to the situation i think it's very uh it's very very interesting so i'm giving it a dalek yeah i, I would say that for, for the master it, like it was just the master scenes i'd give i'd give it a dalek but yeah so i'm giving it an ogron but it's the kind of it's the articulate, relaxed Ogron who says no complications <laughs> and then gets cut for the special edition. So it's it's not a it's I don't think it's bad. Um, I think it's you know absolutely memorable, incredibly memorable, and just visually so interesting. Um, mm. Even if sort of everyone's suddenly shouting at each other and it's a bit of a cartoon in other respects, mm. uh, I'm here for the weird visuals. I think. Yeah, I'm, nice. I'm here for also for for Doctor Who's worst attempt to uh, replicate a nuclear explosion, which is what is supposed <laughs> to be happening at the end. Uh, yeah, the even mentioned power plant that. explodes <laughs> with with very little consequence. Uh, <laughs> so, okay, that's the future, I guess. Yeah, and there's also that line that says that it is the power plant that is supplying power to the entire UK. So, <laughs> yeah, I think they're more or less used to that in the seventies in the UK, though, aren't they? It uh, constantly. Well, we we have all these, you know, inferno-like stories where, like, we're almost running out of energy. We've got to, yeah, you know, yeah, we've got to mm. find an alternate source, and apparently, we found it. 
apparently <laughs> we got some really good nuclear power, guys. So good news. They didn't even need Axonite. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? All, All right, right, you guys. That was a good one. And now it is time to find out where this podcast is going next. And yes. as everyone knows, Pull to Open has a randomizer, uh, which, uh, well, I can go into it, but it consists of our two parts, the codex and the executor. Uh, but we have also another randomizer available to us. And we're actually might sidestep into another TARDIS, I think, this week yeah. to, uh, you know, let that one take us on its uh, uh, random adventure. So, oh, you, you know what? I, let me just put this on pause for a second because I have to talk about the Master's TARDIS. So we have okay. talked about this in Pulls Open's past, that the Master's TARDIS is too tiny for, for the Master to get into. And I like it when it was a clock, like how the hell did he get into that thing? <laughs> um, you know, we also talked about it with, uh, you know, uh, Attack of the Cybermen, like, you know, when the, the uh, Doctor's TARDIS loses its chameleon circuit, becomes an array of things that it's hard to move in and out of. But this, the, in this, the Doctor's TARDIS is seen for, for like one minute and it's like a giant fridge. Basically, right? It's sort of pink, isn't it? And you can see the background through the gap in the door. It's uh, but it is. It's a realistic size TARDIS, which is nice. (laughs) So nice to see. Why was it? Why wasn't the chameleon circuit working? Why didn't it look like a gloopy, globby (laughs) piece of axon gunkiness, (laughs) or at least a big claw? I don't know. The, the master emulating the doctor there, you know, really. Yeah, I think he just reset it to, to factory settings. <laughs> <laughs> Done a hard get his, a, get his attention by breaking the chameleon circuit. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So let's let's go random. Let's install a new randomizer. Random. Into our so yeah, we're gonna. Device. What we want to do is we're gonna uh, hook up our codex to the randomizer.net. Randomizer with an S. Um, if I have it right. And uh, Nathan, we'd love it if you could like man the controls here oh, okay. and take us to a story. Now, uh, we have to calibrate it to our codex so that because uh, we have all the stories that we've done, which are, of course, time locked. And, uh, you know, but if you could find us one that, that you uh, haven't done, that we haven't done, that'd be awesome. So I don't think you need the numbering or whatever. Um, let's just spin this baby up. But Chris, maybe you want to give him a countdown. Are you ready? Yeah, absolutely. I'm just sort of looking at the randomizer.net now, and it's, and it's fantastic. You know, you've got the, you've got the choice of narrowing it down by doctors, uh, skip long stories, skip missing stories, uh, you know, don't repeat the stories. Uh, but it is set up for us perfectly in this in this the uh, in the settings. Oh. Um, we don't have any of the stories in our history, so we may just have to encounter some some time lockness. So. Uh, yeah, Nathan, let's uh, let's go there. I'll give you a little countdown in four, three, two, one. Well, anything could happen. Oh, well, okay. I don't know if you've done this. I think you probably haven't because I did take a look at the codex earlier and it is the Romans. Oh, back in time. Yes. Yeah. It's one of my absolute favourites. Um, I'm a Latin teacher during the day when I'm not podcasting. Oh, wow. Uh, and, uh, and the Romans is one of my absolute favourites. We had a Doctor Who club at school, uh, which Stephen Moffat got to hear about because uh, one of the Doctor Who directors uh, from his era 
had a kid at the school uh, and Moffat was absolutely terrified by the thought that uh, they were watching 60s Doctor Who at lunchtime once a week uh, in a high school in Sydney. And we showed them the Romans and the kids roared with laughter at... uh, at Nero, who is just <laughs> hilariously brilliant. It's such a great story. Uh, you know, the Doctor and his friends get menaced by various bits of stock footage and, you know, there's a giant climax at the end. Great show. Great show. Well, this this is fantastic for, for in the pull-to-open mythology for two reasons. First of all, this is the randomizer doing its usual thing of taking us to the serial right after a serial we've been to. <laughs> You've already done. <laughs> we've, we've already, we did the rescue, right? That right. was the that's the preceding one, which which leads straight into the Romans, um, mm-hmm. with that that cliffhanger at the end of the rescue. I so think the that, rescue that's, was that the first Hartnell one we did. I think it was. Uh, was it, or did we do? We did, sen- we, we did, we did sensorites. That. We've done tenth planet. We've only done three Hartnells. So yeah. this, uh, yeah, this may be the first one. It does lead right into the Romans, but also when we challenged the randomizer about two or three weeks ago, uh, we we do find the randomizer kind of on a delay without accepting our challenges. I asked it <laughs> to after Eaters of Light, in fact, because oh, that was right. Roman focused. Give us another story with a Roman in it, you know, allowing for any sort of, you know, Auton Rory legionnaire kind of situation, <laughs> you know, and anything, anyone with, you know, cloak and sandals, anything. Um, and it's taken us to the Romans. So fantastic. Possibly Boom, because brilliant. we didn't issue with it for the challenge this week. It's uh, <laughs> kind of uh, filling oh. up the backlog of requests here. Well, Nathan's randomizer heard your challenge. It's, all, yes. it's a big fan of Pulto. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Let's be real. I say, I, I like this. I like how it's working for us. It's <laughs> yeah. We might we, we might have to fire it up again. But uh, we've we've unfortunately come to the end of this broadcast. Nathan, thank you, thank you so much for joining us here uh, for pull to open and uh, getting our our claws into the claws of Axis. It's been a delight. Um, hope you you can come back again sometime. And this isn't the last time our two podcasts uh, cross paths. Oh, thank you very much for having me. It's been great fun. Sweet. All right, listeners, uh, as ever, uh, follow us on the socials. Follow us on TikTok at Pull to Open, Pull to Open 63 on Instagram and Twitter. Um, Leave us a review wherever you're at, whatever you're listening to. We're going to be back again next time with the Romans. Uh, Chris, we'll give you the last one. Thank you to all of our fans in all of our time zones, all of the timey-wimey zones around the world, whether you're here or in the future. Uh, Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Take it easy.